RadioInfluence.com. Hey gang, welcome to another edition of the Real Animals Podcast presented by Contender Boats. Really excited today to have joining me uh, one of my favorite show hosts in the industry of fishing, Peter Miller. Peter, how are you this morning, bud? Oh, wow, I'm great. Thank you so much for the uh, the, the nice introduction. And uh, you know what's cool about you is every time I've seen you, the first time I thought I'd be a little... I'm a little intimidated by your size and your stature. And I said, this guy, this guy is a true beast. And you're like a, like a huggable bear, <laughs> a gentle giant, if you will. Uh, so, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that. you for that. And yeah. I appreciate the kind words as always, man. Well, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, you and I film some with the same people uh, from time to time. And, and I, I just, I never get anything but rave reviews about, you know, Peter Miller, the, the person, the man, um, you know, and, and, and quite frankly, you know, I'm, I'm, I am, I'm a little bigger fella than you are, but uh, you know, to be, to be fair, I think that it, it's a little, it's a little unfair that those of us in the fishing business have to grind and grind, uh, you know, to get sponsors and, and do all the things that we have to do. And then here comes Peter Miller, who looks like he fell off the cover of uh, some underwear modeling magazine. And we have to compete against you, my friend. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're funny. You're killing it. I did not expect this opening, but uh, hey, you know what? I'm 51 years old and I'm washed up and, and I, lo- I love it. It's nice to think about the old days. You know, the funny thing is, Mike, there was a time where I booked a couple of underwear jobs back in the day and uh, it was pretty surreal. I remember walking through JCPenney and they had like a four foot by two foot lit poster of me above like these hang- jockey underwear or something. I was like, oh my God. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because that, that's what you aspire to in that modeling world. You're like, man, I did some underwear campaigns. You know, I did this, I did that. And it's like total Zoolander. 100%. I lived in Japan. I had like a, there was, it, it was like a model apartment with like 25 models. And we used to go on like castings in a bus. It was ridiculous, <laughs> but, uh, had some good times, but the fishing's always been my, uh, you know, my pride and joy, but you know, of course an underwear model shoot here and there wasn't, wasn't, uh, too bad. <laughs> I'll bet not. I'll bet not. I actually didn't know that. I just, uh, I was guessing. I was like, oh, that guy looks like he's an underwear model for God's sakes. He's driving, you know, it's hard to compete against this guy. So, so let's start, let's start there. Uh, and it's what I like to do on the podcast. How does, how does Peter Miller become, you know, the host of, of such a great television series and, and how does, you know, how does your passion for fishing evolve in your life here, Peter? How do, how does this whole thing start for you? All right. Well, I'll, I'll try to trim it up because, you know, we all like to talk about our, our fishing. So growing up in uh, upstate New York, you know, people will say upstate, Oh, like, you know, like Rochester, you know, like way up there. And I said, no, Rockland County, which is about 20 minutes uh, north of the city or south, north of the city and of new york city so it's not that far but if you live in new york city you have to tell somebody you live upstate because if you say i live in new york they're like oh you live in the city and you go no i, I live in rockland like oh well, that's upstate so no matter what you say you always have to kind of justify it so i grew up in rockland county which is 20 minutes north of manhattan 
great little spot with uh, rolling hills and kind of blue collar, you know, kind of uh, families, which I came from. And my dad would take me to the little ponds. I'm talking like stagnant little ponds, you know, with like green stuff floating on the surface. I sit on this, I want to say it was an old Plano tackle box. I would cut worms on there and, you know, we had like, a, you know, the bobber, the Zebco, and I'll never forget seeing that bobber go down for the first time. And I thought, oh boy. And I was like lit up like adrenaline running through me and it's a tiny catfish and I didn't care and I still don't care. So <laughs> right. it kind of started like that, you know, and then there was like a little bass or a brim and, you know, kind of graduated and slowly started doing more like bass fishing. And then we did, we got into carp cause they were big. We didn't really eat them obviously, but, you know, we started catching, catching carp and then we started getting crayfish for or crawfish as most people call them for bass bait and rubber worms. And then we started fly fishing and kind of cat skills when I was 10 for trout, you know, at nighttime, like two pound tippet with these little flies standing in these little, you know, roaring brooks or little, you know, streams and sleeping in a trailer. Um, and then we go tubing during the day and fish at night. And so it was like everywhere I went, we went fishing. We vacationed on Miami beach. I was like, dad, and I got to go to tackle store, get some shrimp. And I would sit on the beach from sun up to sundown, totally sunburned. I remember going all over, like by myself, um, like as a little kid, like 10 years old, like didn't even know where I was. And I just like that jetty looks good. And I just walked up there and, you know, rubbing elbows with the locals and catching whatever. But, uh, that's kind of how it all started and then went into, you know, stripers and, and bluefish and, you know, umbrella rigs and the Hudson River and, and Long Island Sound. Um, so it was really cool. You know, it was kind of like a gradual progression. But then I'd say I think at 10, you know, I kind of mixing that whole 10 year old range up together. But at about 10 years old, I caught my first sailfish um, out of Miami Beach on a boat called the Therapy. Um, and it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And that was, that was pretty much it after that. And then I caught a hammerhead and I said, okay, well, first of all, I have to make fishing my life. Secondly, I have to be in Florida. And thirdly, like I'm, you know, I have to like get this done and I will get it done. I swore to myself. So that's how it all kind of uh, went down. Now I did, I, you know, I try to do some homework for these things, and and in, in looking you up, it says that you you're a three time world sailfish champion. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know, when I was in college, when I, I wound up going to UM, so I could kind of base everything out of Florida, and, and luckily I was able to go there and grad went there in '86 and graduated in '90. Um, but my buddy had a boat, a little twenty three whaler, and we used to go out sail fishing before class, like I scheduled my classes around a rigorous <laughs> fishing schedule, which was like starting up a smoky ass Evan Rude motor with, you know, that would kill, that would like knock the mosquitoes off the, off of us. <laughs> and I would throw the cast net like in the mangroves, in the mud for these mullet. And we get just enough mullet to get out there and slow troll mullet with wire leader. We didn't know any better mono. We couldn't risk losing a fish, you know, the like 80 pound mono and wire leader and, you know, slow trolling and outriggers. And then we learned how to fly the kite in like 87, you know, Bob Lewis, one of the inventors of the kite, he kind of gave us the ropes, showed us the ropes and long story short, we were just fishing all the time and, you know, graduated and we started fishing tournaments just because someone's like, Oh, you should enter a tournament. And we tied for first place, like in one of our first events, 
And then we were always up in the, the, the top standings, uh, remarkably. And, um, you know, we, we started winning awards and trophies and, you know, a little bit of money here and there and, and uh, won a boat once. And uh, it started like way back in 1990. And I remember naming my boat Get Lit. And people are like, what does that mean? You're like, what are you getting high? You're getting this, you're doing this, you're getting that. I said, no, no, no. Well, you know, it's a double entendre, I guess, in a way. But when we were, when we were in college, we went to Costa Rica and we were aboard a like 27 foot center console. And there was a South African female mate. And when the fish would come up on the teaser, she would yell, he's getting lit. He's lit up. He's lit. You know, he's getting lit, you know, and, and nonstop. And he's like, get lit, lit up, get lit. You know, it's like, he's lighting up and every kind of version she said. And I'm thinking, hmm, that name's pretty cool. And that I envisioned cool. like a logo and, 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 you know, everything about it. So I named the book Get Lit. And I remember the first time calling in a fish on the radio. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, radio boat. This is the tournament boat. This is the get lit. They're like, excuse me. I'm like, do you get lit? People are like, that is never going to stick. I mean, that name it was ridiculous. And here we are. <laughs> you know, we wound up winning like three and a half million dollars in fishing tournaments over the course of our career. And uh, it's just funny when I think of how and why I named named the boat to get lit. And it was like a 25 dusky. That's awesome, though. That's a really cool accomplishment, yeah. dude. I mean, to you know, that... That billfish scene is is a very competitive world, and uh, you know that's a. Ser- I think that when I saw that, I was like, "Wow, that's a serious accomplishment." I think it would be a serious accomplishment to do it once, but to do it three times is really, really spectacular. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, when you, you know, sailfish to me, and I'm not a great bill fisherman. You know, I'm a I'm a backcountry guide here in West Central Florida. So, you know, obviously I've done some sail fishing and um, some marlin fishing and things like that. But, I, you know, dialing into the nuances of that, the currents and the water temps and, you know, making sure you're around the right bait and, and all those things, I, I'm not – you know, I, I want people to understand how difficult, I, at least how difficult it is in my mind to accomplish three times. Congratulations. That's crazy. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's it's all about, I think it's all about consistency. I mean, that's really the key. Like, I think anybody can win something once or they can win it twice, but to go out there on a daily basis with a feeling that you believe that you can win. I mean, everyone should have that feeling anyway, but you know, to have a team that you know that is is, is functioning and, and firing on all cylinders um, at all times when you're out there is just the best feeling in the world because you feel like you can just you can win and it's just that it just takes that second. I can't tell you how many times we are in the final. I w- I literally there's seconds, but I would say like the final minutes of a tournament, a three day event where you're sunburned, you're dehydrated, and you haven't left the cockpit you know, for three days. And in between then you're catching bait and you're not sleeping because you're nervous. And, you know, you get up, you get on the boat. And so it's just like, you're cramping up while you're sleeping because you're so dehydrated. <laughs> Everything hurts, you know, and, and, um, you get out there and I remember having like a minute left. All right, all right guys, one minute left. Well, two minutes left in the tournament, fish hard. And you're tied with like nine boats out of 110, out of 110 boats. And all of a sudden, you know, where you can't even see the bait, you just see this little splash, the tiny little something and the sun setting like right in your face and you can barely see it. But all of a sudden your fingers, you know, you're on a, you're at the rocket launcher holding like three lines in your hand and your buddy on the other side is holding like just to feeling the tension 
and you just feel that little tick, almost like a bass eating like a rubber worm. And you think to yourself, I think there's, I think something's eating, eating it and sinking with it. And then, you know, you got to make your move. So you have to be hooked up with the fish in order to call it in. So you got to go for it. So you're not really sure. And you think it's him and you wind up and there he is. He comes up jumping. You're like, get lit, hooked up for 30 seconds to go. And we wind up landing that fish. And then maybe another one comes up with it and you win by two fish in like the last 30 seconds of a three day tournament worth $450,000 to the winner. It's like, it's like remarkable. So those are, those are some epic moments. And, um, you know, we, we just had a lot of success with a really good team and sail fishing is all teamwork. I mean, you know, fishing in general, a lot of guys will go out by ourselves, but you know, you got the captain, you got a guy that's spotting certain things like, like for instance, flying fish, sailfish can't catch them. So if you see two flying fish pop up and just flutter across the surface and land in the middle of nowhere, you pretty much know there's something pushing them up and it's not a king. It's not mahi going wild. It's not, you know, other tunas blasting them and chasing them. It's like a sailfish that swam by, gave a little swatter, kind of showed them who he was and they kind of just fluttered away and landed. So we'll bump out to that spot. You know, some guys are like weed lines. Well, sometimes there's just a trickle of weed lines. It's a little grass, fine grass line, like five inches wide with bait congregating on it. And people say, well, I've been catching them at 140 all day. Well, with the incoming tide, that little tiny weed line that everybody, you know, was catching them on has moved into 120 and they're still at 140. So we're backing the boat up into 120 and staying with that microscopic micro mini weed line where the bait is. And it's kind of like a conveyor belt. So, I mean, there's a million, you know, nuances and things that are involved in the bill fishing world, but these are just a couple, you know, obviously things that off the top of my head kind of, you know, stand out. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I've, I've been doing the, the radio side of, of the fishing world now for 20 years and, and it, it never fails. The, the, the best of the best whether I'm doing a seminar with them or whether I'm interviewing them on the radio show or I have them on the podcast, the best of the best fishermen, Peter, are the ones who you can hear the details in their conversation. The, the thought process to me comes across different. They, 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 they talk different. They think different. It's about every little nuance. And that's what I try to convey to other anglers is that it, it, the, the devil's in the details in this thing. You know, if you really dig into the best of the best fishermen, you will find out that they are silly detail oriented. They're not happy just catching fish. They want to know why they caught them. Why were they there? Where were they yesterday? Where are they going to be tomorrow? What are they feeding? You know, what was the water temp? What was the current direction? You know, all of those pieces to the puzzle so that they can duplicate it again tomorrow. Um, so it's always interesting to me to get, you know, with truly great anglers and, and, and hear that. You can hear it in your voice, um, the detail and the thought process and all that that goes into it. I think so many people attack the fishing world without that, you know. Um, I don't know how many tournaments, I mean, I fished the Pro Redfish Tournament Trail for 10 years, and I can't tell you how many times I won the winning, I caught the winning fish on Friday, the day before the tournament, I was Mm -hmm. on them. And then, you know, the wind direction changes. And it, it took me a couple years 
You know, I was used to catching fish on the west coast of Florida where the water's clean. You're doing a lot of sight fishing. Um, fish, you know, we have a lot of fishing pressure, so our fish are skittish. You got to make long casts. And, you know, then you'd go to Jacksonville, which is, you know, muddy creeks and, you know, eight-foot tides and just a totally different and having to learn all that and trying to put those pieces of the puzzle together. Um, you know, and then finding, like you said, finding a way to be consistent um, is is really hard. I, I never ever won a redfish, a big redfish tournament. Never won a big one. Top five to bunch, top ten to bunch, top twenty to bunch. My most the year that I enjoyed the most, I top twenty the whole year. We never had a tournament where we were just a dud. We just were able to catch those fish every day, and and that's I think to your conversation there on the sailfish it's just about those details figuring out those details being able to adapt kind of on the move incoming tide outgoing tide where those fish would push to how they would act um i think that's what really separates the the good from the great so again three times to do that peter is to me is unbelievable absolutely unbelievable nice work um 25 years at 25 years of tv You've been doing TV for 25 years now? How long? I know well, Bass to- uh, Yeah, no, Go I ahead. have Bass to Billfish. I've done about 90 episodes. I started filming. I mean, I was doing fishing related, you know, like I had I had the camera crews with our fishing tournaments on the boat. You know, you get on these boats in the I morning. Sure. And they'd yeah. say, who, you know, who, who wants to be, uh, who wants a camera crew on their boat? Nobody wanted it. And I was like, wait, guys, we're, we're doing this. We need marketing. We need to get dollars to help pay for our fishing you know, sure. obsessiveness. And, and so I'd be like, come on airboat, I'll talk. And they're like, wow, you're pretty, you're pretty good at this. I'm like, well, man, I love it. It's easy. And to, to talk about what you love and what you know. And, um, yeah, so basically fishing the tournament circus from 90 to, you know, we're that's about 30 years ago that, that I was doing it, but I'd say 25, 25, 26 years in the tournaments. I mean, I still fish a tournament here and there. Um, being in the TV, you know, business and hosting and all that stuff, um, probably the same of about 30, you know, 30 years roughly. Cause that's what I was doing as my career. So I, I included fishing. Well, wound that into it, um, into fishing, like hosting TV modeling. But my main thing, you know, it was always wanting to have a fishing show since I was a kid in high school. Like I was obsessed with all the fishing shows. So to be able to, have the accolades, you know, with the tournament wins and the marketing of our, our fishing team to be able to go to sponsors and say, Hey, you know, this is what we've done. And I kept every DVD and I kept every clipping and sure. every photo and every trophy. And we were up at the podium 120 something times holding cardboard checks and trophies, whether it was, you know, a first place Mahi or, or the big win or, or, you know, a daily or something to that effect. So, we had a good, like one of the best careers and it was, it was kind of cool. I remember a, a, a guy wrote an article about us and he equated us with like, you know, a dynasty team. And I couldn't believe when I saw that, I was like, Holy cow. Like, you don't, when you work hard and you're just constantly on it, you don't really think about what you're doing. I mean, you think about it, but you don't think about like how the ripple effect has gone out to society, you know, and you don't really know what people think or what's, what's really how you're looked at. And you don't really care because you're just doing your thing. And yeah. then you hear something like that, you're like, wow, this is so cool. So <laughs> it's been, it's been a very interesting, interesting ride. And then starting the TV show business finally, which was kind of in the, in like, kind of like worse, not as bad as now with this Corona, but 
you know, it was during like in 2008 where I was getting sponsorships for the show. And I remember the market was going down 1500 points as I was like trying to pitch the Bass Pro in Springfield. You know, meanwhile, I had been <laughs> with them since 96. Yeah, I was with them in 96 doing like uh, print shoots and producing shoots for them. They'd say, hey, Peter, we got a boat. We got nothing on it. And we need to catch sailfish, tuna or mahi. Can we bring the boat to you when you outfit it and get bait and nets and gaffs and, you know, basically naked boat and make like a whole fishing shoot happen? So luckily, you know, it, it all worked out. We caught five sailfish. We caught some black fins. We caught, you know, some mahi. We actually rolled up on a square grouper, too which is really interesting. And <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, uh, a square grouper is basically a bale of uh, some type of drug paraphernalia. And, um, you know, you don't really, you don't want to be near them. You know, it's, I don't know who's watching. We don't know what's going on, yeah. but I, we rolled up on it. And I'm like, what is that in this net and this plastic and this thing? And it's floating. And that was during our shoot. And we all looked at it. We're like, wow, this is some, this is some finding. So we let it go and we just kept fishing, but it's been, uh, anyway, starting the show in, in 2000, let's see, what year was it? I aired in 2009 or 10, but was seeking money in 2007, 2008. So it was hard to get it, but I got it. And you just keep chipping away and chipping away and nobody knows unless you do it and you're in the fishing industry, how hard it is to get those dollars and prove why you deserve it or prove or prove what you can do for them to warrant them sure. giving you the money. And that's really the, that's really what we spend most of our time is a fishing part is kind of easy in a sense, because that's what you're pretty good at. But like the marketing and the selling, that's really what keeps it all afloat. And that's, all, that's really the hard part. Yeah. The fishing part's the fun. I tell people that all the time. The fishing yeah. is the fun part. I mean the, the, you know, my days on the water when you just wake up in the morning and have a good breakfast and head for the boat. I mean, that's, that's that's the cake stuff. It's all that grinding yeah. that you got to do in between that that you know a lot of people just don't want to do or don't realize exists. It's uh and and, the, and the, you know what the fishing industry is a small industry. It's not this gigantic thing. I try to tell people all the time, except for boats and motors, almost the entire fishing industry fits into one building in Orlando every July. Think about yeah. that. I mean, one, yeah. it's almost the entire industry is in that building. Now there's some, you know, there's some stuff that isn't there. But for the most part, a lot of it's in that building right there. So I try to tell, especially young guys that are getting the fishing business, I'm like, listen, don't make a bunch of enemies because, you know, the guy you're working for at the company you're with now, he may get fired and move to the company X and you may be at company X in two years. You just don't know. I mean, so many guys kind of float around in that industry. So it's interesting. I, I'm I'm totally shocked that uh, I'm starting season 14. I just, I didn't plan it. It wasn't one of those things that I thought was going to happen. It's just kind of the way it rolled out. And uh, every year I'm just thankful. I feel blessed, you know, to be around great anglers, you know, like yourself, like Carter Andrews, C.A. Richardson, so many great friends that I've made in the industry. Um, it, it's a special, it's a special place. So how many years, how many years did you do Bass to Billfish? 90 episodes, you said? Yeah, 90 episodes. And, you know, our, our episodes took a long time. Some people will do shows, you know, in a day or two. And we took, uh, we took four days per show. Uh, fishing, sometimes only one day, but I would always allot two days for it. 
But, um, yeah, we did about nine, nine seasons and, uh, getting ready to, was getting, getting ready to do a 10th and, you know, my son went off to college, you know, life changed a little bit and I wanted to kind of go back to where it all started, where when I was in college, I saved up all my money from working. You know, I worked, I worked in New York city, you know, making, setting scenery for the soap operas and for good morning America. My dad was a carpenter. And my other uncle was a prop guy. Another one was an electrician. So I would basically make my money in the summers and any vacation I had, Christmas vacation, whatever, spring break, I'd gather that money and, and that money would be used for, you know, rent and then to try to take a fishing trip. So we used to go to, I mean, when we were, when I was young, I mean, just out of college, we went to Costa Rica, out of Venezuela, to the Bahamas, St. Thomas, Cayman. And, you know, we were doing marlin fishing and that was, that was really where we really got pretty decent at it, like pitch baiting, you know, four or 500 pound Marlin coming up behind the boat and your knees are shaking and you're freaking out. And that's kind of like what I wanted to get back to. Whereas I love bass to billfish and it had a great following and I loved, you know, doing everything we did with bass to billfish. I still do it, but off camera, um, the format, you know, I still take, you know, people fishing here and there and, uh, you know, I give to charities and, and I do stuff like that. But, all of a sudden you find yourself with no time left in the day to breathe. Um, and then, you know, you have your own family, you have your kids and, you know, your loved ones. And it's kind of like, well, I think I need to change this up a little bit. And then I'm going to, I'm going to take it on the road. So I started a show called uncharted waters or the brand uncharted waters, which was basically going to take me around the world and I could fish anywhere, anytime. And, because of, you know, we've been around a long time. We get a lot of offers. Hey, come here, come to my country, come here. We'll put you up. We'll fly you in, you know, we'll take you fishing and, you know, we'll, we'll set it all up. And that became like, wow, I feel like I'm back to my roots where it all started. And I love doing it. So some, somebody said to me like, well, uncharted, shouldn't you be living on the side of a river, like in a tent and, you know, cooking your own rice and, you know, like survivor man type stuff. And I said, not really, because uncharted to me means, like something that I haven't done or I haven't seen um, per se. And, and I'm learning new things like all over the world, which is really cool to me. Am I, you know, 51, I'll be 52 this, this year. And it's kind of nice to go to these different locations and, and still be learning. Like I'm never not learning when I'm on these, on these trips. And I really enjoy that, like little techniques and um, you know, food and people and cultures. And it's kind of uh it's kind of cool. I really, I'm really enjoying it. Um, but I love bass to bill fish and, and, uh, you know, I still, I still own it and I still think to myself one day, who knows, maybe bring it back or, or do something with it. But the sun charter water is a lot of fun. It actually premieres, um, April 4th, which is in just a, excuse me, just a few days on the discovery channel on Saturday morning. So this April 4th, I'm looking at my calendar, which is Saturday morning at seven thirty. Every Saturday morning at 7.30 on Discovery, you'll see Uncharted Waters with Peter Miller, and we have uh, the Dominican Republic uh, episode coming up, and we have a Miami uh, inshore Grand Slam, like Permit, Bonefish, Tarpon. Um, in the Dominican, we have uh, Marlin and Big Mahi, and then we have Guatemala, Tuna, Mahi, Sailfish, and then um, where else do we go? We went to Mexico, we went to Riviera Nayarit, 100-pound Yellowfin, you know, 70-pound Kubera, hundred pound amberjacks. And then 
you know, getting your face painted for Dia de los Muertos, you know, Day of the Dead and riding like a donkey down the street and, you know, like, like sipping tequila with the locals playing African drums in this like dirt road. And it was like all these things that I'm doing. I'm like, wow, this is, this is, uh, getting back to my roots and, and I love it. And while learning and kind of having fun putting these shows together, which take, by the way, we, you know, fly in, fly out. We take four or five days to shoot. So we shoot, you know, let's say six, you know, six or seven days and then we'll edit each show for one full month. So each show is like over a month, Wow! you know, to yeah. edit. And, um, it's very expensive. It's very time consuming, but at the end you have like, we actually score with the music, you know, where we take the crescendos of the fish hitting the water and the drama, of, you know, showing up here and doing this where, you know, back in the day we used to just lay a song over the top and let it ride, you know? And, um, it's kind of, it's kind of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Well, good for you. Like I said, you're, you're one of my favorite hosts. You do a great job. It's unchartedwaterstv.com. That's the website. So I got a couple questions for you. Sure. So especially with all your travels, um, and it's, this question's jumped into my head here several times since we've been talking here. Um, what's your favorite place to fish? I mean, all the places you've been, Peter, if you could fish in one place for the rest of your life, where would it be and why? You know, I would have to say, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of them, you know, but like people lately, I mean, not lately, but people always kind of ask me that question. And when I really boil it down, I think of like where I can do everything I want in between my fishing, you know, and that sort of thing. And where is the best fishing? So I combine like everything together. So honestly, I'd have to answer South Florida or, or, or even, even narrow it down to Miami because, you know, I mean, I can go through it, but we all know that, you know, we have the Bahamas right there, but, uh, you know, going offshore, we've got sailfish, mahi, tuna, kingfish, amberjack, grouper, snapper, just to name a couple. And then if you run in three miles, you got bonefish, permit, tarpon, snook, you can get redfish, and then you can go to the Everglades and then you can do, you know, everything you want to do in there. Um, so, you know, we basically have, and we have Marlin as well, and we have swordfish. So we have like all the billfish. So you basically can do pretty much everything and it's, and it's a safe environment. And then you can go, if you choose, you can go to, you know, little Havana and have like a traditional Cuban meal, or you can go into Miami and go to one of the biggest nightclubs that exists and, and, (laughs) you know, in the whole world. And you got, so basically you have a little bit of everything in it and it's a safe environment and the air is clean and it feels great. But, you know, I used to go to Venezuela. I thought that was the best fishing in the world, but the government says no, they don't like us there. And, and they, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really, you know, it's a, like a lot, a lot of uprisings. It's unsafe, but the fishing was remarkable. I caught my first billfish grand slam there in like 92, white marlin sailfish and blue marlin in like the first two hours of fishing when I first got there, but it's kind of rough. The weather, you know, the weather can be crazy, but then all of a sudden you catch it 200 pound yellowfin tuna and 50, 60 pound mahis, you know, on the way in. So the fishing there was incredible. Uh, Dominican Republic, same thing. Beautiful. The fishing is incredible. We raised 25 marlin one day when we were, when we were trolling, we caught 15 out of 25, like, you know, in the spread. Um, you know, but you know, there's 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 things here and there that you that you that are a little unsavory at times and uh, in those areas. So when it's all said and done, I'd say Miami takes the cake for me. 
Yeah, I get it. I get it. All right, now, so let's narrow it down. If you could only fish for one fish for the rest of your life, <laughs> what fish would it be and why? Mm, damn, that's a tough yeah. one. <laughs> I knew it uh, would be. Boy. I knew it would be. I knew it would be. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, I'm going to have to go with what, who, with what brought me to the dance, as they say. Um, I'll have to go with sailfish because, well, first off, we all know from all the science shows that they're the fastest fish in the ocean. 70, clocked at 72 miles an hour. So the beautiful thing about sailfish is they, you know, we can catch them from five pounds to a hundred pounds. You know, go to the Pacific there, you can get them up to 200 pounds or 220 is a world record. But when you have one fish show up and you know, there could be a pod of 10 fish with them and you have six kite baits out and you have three flat lines out and you're by yourself, which I used to do, I would go out. And that was one of my favorite fishing stories ever is when, I caught 11 sails by myself one day. Probably had to break off another five or six and caught like 30 blackfin tuna. And all I had was a cast net, no chum, no sabikis, no nothing. Um, I wound up you know, at the end of the day getting like six bites simultaneously. And there's nothing like having fish racing all around the boat at 72 miles an hour <laughs> and then taking to the air with light drag. So they're all up in the air, splashing everywhere. And it's like, it's like kind of getting in a car crash or a fight. You go from <laughs> like a, you know, like a cold setting sitting at your desk to like a, like a, like a little bit of a fist fight, like out of nowhere. And it's kind of that adrenaline. And, uh, that's why I love it, man. They're in the air, they're going fast and their dorsals are up and the bills are, you know, swatting at the base and, and they swim in packs. It's like, I don't know. I'd have to say that I'd have to say sailfish. Well, that's a great answer, my friend, and I'm not surprised you picked that one either. Peter Miller, I got to tell you, when, uh, you know, coming into this business um, totally by chance on my end, just kind of fell into it, um, you know, the very one of the very first times that I saw you at one of our conventions and, and you know, you ended up coming over, shaking my hand, saying hello, knew my name, all that stuff uh, from day one. I just thought you were a gentleman. I thought you were a great guy. Um, I appreciated you uh, accept, accepting me into the industry. And uh, it, it always it always puts a smile on my face to see you at these events, brother. You're super humble, a great show host. I think you're great for our industry. I know you do a lot of great things for the fishing community in general. Uh, keep up the great work, my friend. And, uh, you know, if you ever need anything here on the West Coast, give me a call. I'm always here to help, brother. I appreciate you giving us some time for the podcast, my friend. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. And same to you. Hey, gang, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. My good friend, Peter Miller, uh, Uncharted with Peter Miller. He's a great TV show host, uh, great angler. Just uh, really great to finally get caught up with Peter Miller. Hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. The Real Animals podcast are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and RI Tampa Bay Com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And the Real Animals podcasts are presented by Contender Boats. This is a place for my head quick picks on Radio Influence. 
This week on the A Place for My Head podcast, we're talking to Pro Beach volleyball player Kenzie Clespies. She's talking about her battles with anxiety and depression, and more importantly, a story that I think a lot of people can relate to about how she overcame an assault during her days at the University of Arizona and how it played into having trust issues and, much more importantly, into the anxiety and depression she already had. It's an awesome conversation with an awesome girl, Kenzie Clespies, Pro Beach volleyball player, this week on the A Place for My Head podcast podcast a place for my head with brandon thompson and jerry p tuck can be found on apple podcasts stitcher tune in radio google podcasts and radioinfluence.com